Well, good morning and welcome everybody to our contemporary worship service. I am perhaps an unfamiliar face to some of you, but to the majority of you, I've had the deep pleasure of meeting you all and connecting with most of you all. And uh, you've all done such a wonderful job in welcoming me here. And uh, I really appreciate that. I am a seminary intern here to fulfill my internship. And, uh, you know, I'm here to handle business, but at the same time, I'm also looking forward to doing life with you all. Um, you know, school is kind of secondary to the real priority, which is being a light in this world. And so I'm grateful to do that with you all. And uh, with that being said, I am unfamiliar. So I have a little bit more privilege than the usual preacher, perhaps, because I get to go back to where I live after this. You know, the getaway car is still running in the back just in case. Uh, <laughs> I say something a little out of hand, but uh, my deep prayer is that no, 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 that won't be the case. And, um, you know, I as I stand before you, I, I stand before you as one who is used to church. You know, I'm not unfamiliar to what goes on here. I've heard every kind of message, every kind of way. And uh, I'm not one to take this opportunity to abuse the opportunity to share the gospel in a meaningful manner. And so uh, don't be fooled, even though I'm standing up here on an elevated platform, I am still very much so a part of this congregation here, um, this great cloud of witnesses. And so I'm just one of everyone. And uh, even though I'll be presenting the word, I'm not above the word. Um, I am still subject to the authority of the word. And Hebrews 4 and 12 says that the word is alive. It is Sharper than any two edged sword, you know, dividing between soul and spirit, bone and marrow and exposing us. And so uh, as I've been doing the homework for this sermon, I've been dealing with, you know, some of that light exposing the truth about myself. And so I say all that to say that uh, I'm allowing this message to preach to me, too. And so I believe the word is capable enough to do its job. I'm not here to add anything to it. I'm not here to take anything away from it. And so as we progress into the scripture, I pray that you will receive this message in that way. All right, let's pray. Dear gracious and heavenly God, just awesome living God, holy God. Hmm. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God who revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush. God, who just is, you are. And so, God, in these next few moments, I pray that you will speak to us, God, in that way that only you can, how you can speak to the multitudes, to the thousands, and it feel like you're speaking right at us. God, I just pray that you will, by your spirit, blow in the hearts and the minds of we, your people today, and that we leave here ready to take on the world, God, that we leave here ready to be better witnesses, stronger believers, more devout disciples. And we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So I have the distinct pleasure of preaching about the 10 bridesmaids in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. This is actually personally one of my favorite parables because uh, there's an uncomfortable feel to this parable. And so we've been in this series of reframing this summer. Um, taking a look at the parables of Jesus in order to reframe our 
perception, in order to kind of reframe our convictions, reevaluate ourselves as believers. And hopefully we through the inside of the parables, we can be transformed by, you know, the teachings of our Lord and Savior. And so uh, one of the natures of the parables is that they're kind of weird. These are just weird stories. They're kind of pseudo reality. Jesus is a weird dude. I'll be the first to tell you, but uh, I love him dearly because he is himself. And uh, we're just going to see what Jesus has to say to us through this parable, if that's all right. But before we actually jump into the parable, we need to get some context. We need to figure out just what was going on that made Jesus talk in the way he did in this moment of these 10 bridesmaids. And so in order to do that, we need to go back to Matthew 21. And uh, in this chapter of the Bible, Jesus, you know, he's coming in humbly to the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. And uh, the people are throwing out their tunics on the ground and cutting off branches, screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. And it's really a wonderful, wonderful moment for him. He's being introduced as a king. But it's also ironic that a week later, these same people would be screaming, crucify him. So uh, watch out for people. That's a free one. That's just free. (laughs) That has nothing to do with the message, but that's that's for you. That's for you. Just watch out. Watch out. And so, yeah, this is a very eventful chapter. Jesus comes in. They're singing Hosanna. He immediately goes into the temple and. We have that awesome scene of Jesus kicking down tables, bashing people in the head, kicking them over, you know, in the necks and in the stomachs. No, I'm probably exaggerating, but, you know, it does say that he whipped them with cords and he drove them out of there because they transformed God's holy temple into something like a grocery store. And to some place where you can buy, you know, right relationship with God. And that really turned Jesus off. And so we have this moment of his righteous indignation. And from there, Jesus just puts his final ducks in a row. And so the only thing left for him to do now is to hang on that cross that's looming on Golgotha's hill. By this point, Jesus has walked on the water. Jesus has healed the sick. Jesus has opened blinded eyes. Jesus has caused the paralyzed to walk again. Jesus has fed thousands of people. Jesus has preached in the synagogue. Jesus has preached and talked and walked in the wilderness and in villages. Jesus has been mission oriented for the last three years. And he's here in Jerusalem for his last Passover. And uh, yeah, at this point, Jesus has nothing left to lose. He's he's here for one reason only, which is to be our sacrifice. Everything else was for all intents and purposes, very optional. Jesus poured out from this overabundance of his relationship with his father. But he was really here for one thing, and that is to be the sacrifice for our sins and to reconcile us back to God. And so that's what's going on right now. And, uh, you know, between Matthew 21 and 24, Jesus is grilling the Pharisees, as he often does. Um, He's giving last lessons. He's uh, giving more parables and. By the end of Matthew 24, he's concluded all of his activities. He has ruffled the feathers of the religious leaders. He has prophesied about, you know, his coming doom and demise and his eventual resurrection. Praise the Lord. And by this point, his disciples are curious about what's next. What is next, Lord? What is next? And so Jesus says, uh, you know, listen, come close, come close. I'll tell you what's next. And so he begins to outline the end times. And in the end times, Jesus is kind of giving us a weather forecast about what we can expect before his second arrival, 
the Perusia, his second advent. And uh, his disciples ask, when will we know that you are coming? And Jesus gives them a whole grocery list of things. You know, he says that many will come in my name claiming to be the Messiah, but don't be fooled. He says that uh, the earth will experience birth pains, you know, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine. Um, you will be persecuted for my name. Many of you will be arrested and martyred for my name. But he says that these are just the beginning of what's to come. And so, you know, in order for his disciples to know what to expect, he tells them to look up. He, he, he does say many will come in my name claiming to be the savior. But look up, look up. That's where you'll know I'm coming from. And so he advises his disciples to be alert in Matthew 24, 32 verses 34. He says, when the fig trees branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, then you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know that his return, Jesus's return is very near. It's right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation, the generation he was speaking to will not pass until all these things happen. And so for the last 2019, almost 2020 years, a lot of what Jesus has been forecasting has been happening. And so the point about what he's saying is that we need to be ready. We need to be ready. But what comes next in Matthew 25, we can put the parable up now, is this parable about those who seem to be ready and those who are actually ready. And so now we have this parable of the 10 bridesmaids and it reads, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The one said to the wise, the foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the ones also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour of my return. And so pretty much what we have here, this parable starts rather abruptly. Here we are in the middle of or actually we are at the end of what was well, it must have been a long process. You know, weddings are a long process. And uh, I'm kind of speaking from experience. My best friend, Kefun, just got married not too long ago. And I had the honor of being one of his groomsmen. And that process probably took over a year and a half, you know, getting measurements and finding a date and getting a flight and this and that and this and that. And he was my best friend, but sheesh, <laughs> he was annoying me. <laughs> it was really annoying. But uh, it was a beautiful wedding and the ceremony went off smoothly. The bridegroom wasn't late to this wedding, thank the Lord. And uh, everything went off smoothly. But these weddings are long processes. And, uh, you know, it, 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 
there's an intentional approach to weddings. And so for these bridesmaids, they knew that they were going to a wedding. The story says that all of them came and they were ready to meet the bridegroom. Cool. On paper, it seems good. But it's also funny how the story says very early on that five were foolish and five were wise because on the outside, you couldn't tell who was who, who was really who. Everybody looked the same on the outside. And so the Bible is already indicating to us that God is looking at what's going on on the inside, not at that, not the apparel that we don each week or each day. He's looking at the condition of our inner being, our inner person. And so five are foolish, five are wise. And, you know, pretty much their whole foolishness or wisdom was based off of one fact and one fact only. Who brought enough oil? Not to meet the bridegroom, but who brought enough oil just in case? And so the Bible uses the lamp to represent understanding, guidance, and life. And so, you know, oftentimes God calls us the light of the world. How can a light be lit and set under a bushel or under the bed? You know, you guys, we are a city on the hill and a city that cannot be hidden. And so, The light was important to these bridesmaids. It's important to this story because that was what the bridegroom was looking for. Obviously, the bridegroom wasn't looking for, you know, the freshest gown or the freshest jewelry or the freshest ornaments. One thing mattered. And it was how important this moment was to the bridesmaids. And so this lamp, this lamp and this oil, this lamp and this oil, this lamp and this oil and us being the light. Scholars believe that the oil represents our good works. And so you think about the function of oil, you know, oil drives an engine, oil drives or causes a lamp to shine, lights to shine um, or stoves, this, that and the other. And so without the oil, the light is going to go out. And so we need oil. But we don't need our good works in order to be saved. That's not what the story is. Is suggesting. The story is suggesting that all of the bridesmaids accepted the the bridegroom's invitation. They were Christian. They were all ready. They donned their proper outfits and they were ready for this momentous occasion. But the distinction between them was their level of preparation in their daily life. And so hear me, we're part of the Reformed tradition. And so one of the hugest instigators of the Reformation was Martin Luther, who reaffirmed us being saved by grace. And I second that reaffirmation. We are saved by grace. It is a free gift of God. We cannot work for it. It's not a meritocracy. The kingdom is not merit based. We do not. We don't we don't get to earn favor with God. But our brother James would tell us that faith in and of itself is not enough. Because even the demons believe that there is one God. So good for you. But how can I show you my faith without my works? And so hear me, I want to speak very carefully. We are saved by grace. As I alluded to at the beginning, Jesus came for one thing only which is to reconcile us back to God. 
But in John four, we have this story about Jesus talking with the woman at the well. And long story, very short, God is searching for a response from us. And so oftentimes we consume mm, salvation, mm, blessings, mm, favor and grace. Mm, it's good. It really is good, actually. But this is a covenant that we're in. And so that means that we have a share of the bargain. We have a share of what's going on here. We have to participate in our own salvation. At least we get to. And so that's what this story is highlighting to us today. And so further in that story, the bridegroom, he's he's late for whatever reason. The bridegroom is late to his own wedding and complications arise. All everybody fell asleep. It was midnight. They were waiting. They've been waiting. They were ready. But the bridegroom still wasn't there. And so then what happens? They all fall asleep. But five of them sleep is different from the other five. Five of them went to sleep knowing that I prepared for this. So I'm going to rest. The other five went to sleep taking for granted their extended period of grace. And so the bridegroom comes and there's yelling, there's yelling. He's here. He's here. The time has arrived. Cool. Let's get up. Let's get ready. And they all get ready. Let's start preparing our lamps. Here we go. But the five foolish ones asked the five, five bridesmaids for some of their oil, for some of their discipleship, for some of their discipline, for some of their obedience, for some of their long nights and sacrifices, for some of their uh, moments of, you know, willingness to do go the second mile. Let me get some of that. And it's an interesting point in this story because most of the Bible talks about us as group. It's not an individual thing here. We're in this together. But in this moment, there is a haunting individual perspective here. And what we see that in this period of time, when Jesus has come back, I won't be able to rely on anybody else for participation in the festivities. I've accepted my invitation. I'm here. But to participate in participate in the festivities is another thing. And so it becomes very individual when we stand before the Lord. And so they run off these wise Bridesmaids don't seem very wise because their next suggestion seems a little stupid. It's midnight and they suggested them to go buy some oil, but that's neither here nor there. But the point is that even in their concern, they were still looking out for the foolish ones. The foolish went off to go buy some oil from who knows where. And come back, they finally scrounged up some oil, but the bridegroom had already come back by then. And by then the door was closed. So I'm kind of wrapping up here, but what am I really trying to say here? Wisdom is the ability to live with foresight and prudence about situations that may or may not arise that may delay or hinder our assignment in the earth. 
And so the, the five wise bridesmaids exercised wisdom when they brought extra oil. Sure, the bridegroom was supposed to be there right when he said he was supposed to be there, but that didn't matter to them. And so the foolish bridesmaid, on one level, they're kind of correct. I have enough oil for when the bridegroom is supposed to be here. But what Jesus was saying to his disciples is that you don't know when I'm going to come. And so there's a tension. There's a very, very interesting tension here between near expectation of Jesus's coming and distant expectation of Jesus's coming. And those who are near expectation are usually rightly alert or foolish like the foolish bridesmaids. Oh, he's coming. I got this much oil. I should be fine. And the problem with distant expectation believers is that we become too secular. Oh, Jesus is too far off. He's far gone. Cool. I got time. I'll get it. I'll get it together. Cool, cool, cool. In the meantime, I'm going to go do this, that and the other. But I'm not being about the father's business. And so there's wisdom. And then there's also foolishness, which. In my studies, I came across four different classes of foolishness or folly. And the one that seems to lend itself to this story is called Sakal. And it's reminiscent of David's uh, census of Israel in 2 Samuel. He said, I acted very foolishly. But I think that lends itself to our story now, maybe in terms of inaction, because the five foolish bridesmaids didn't bring enough oil. Seems a little Sakalish, you know, just but it, it deals with the action or maybe inaction, the lack thereof. And so on one level, the story is saying one thing is better to stay ready than to get ready. Free knowledge. That, that's just free. You can take that. That has nothing to do with being a good Christian. You know, um, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. You know, look alive. And another one is uh, the future is given to those who prepare for it. So that's kind of the wisdom of this story on a very surface level. But if we go deeper in the spiritual level, we must reaffirm this cosmic narrative of reconciliation, which I believe includes three things. There's salvation, there's reconciliation, and ultimately there's judgment. Now, don't be alarmed. Usually judgment comes with this scary connotation. Oh, God, God is going to judge me. But the point is, is that. For those who have spent their whole lives preparing for this moment, this is the moment that we've waited our whole lives for. Judgment usually is scary to those who are ill prepared or. Don't understand what's really happening. And what I mean by that is this. Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34 says that I'm going to create a new covenant with you. And it's not going to be the same covenant, the one that I made with your Egyptian forefathers when they forgot me and I married them as a husband marries a wife. No, this covenant is different. I'm going to write my laws on your heart. And so everyone will know me. And what that insinuates is that only you and God know where you stand with God. And so I'm not going to take this opportunity to say that these are the things that are in and these are the things that are out, because that's not the point. 
Second Philippians, not second Philippians, Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 14 says that we are to work out our own salvation in fear and in trembling. For it is God who gives us the will to do his his will. And so what I'm offering to you guys and to you women. Is to assess yourselves. We don't walk up to God and God has this divine gavel of who's in and who's out. The point about the story is that we get to judge for ourselves where we land. And so God's name be praised. There's still time. There's still time. There's still time. God's arms are open wide through Jesus. For those who have not accepted the invitation to the to the banquet, his arms are open wide. And he stands on the right side of the father, interceding on our behalf. Second Peter three says that, you know, God's time is different. God is waiting, willing that nobody perish, but that all will come to repentance. That is God's will. But time being being time has to end. So time is ticking. And so I just want to leave you with this. Assess yourselves. As first Corinthians 11 instructs us to do 11 and 28. Assess yourselves because we will stand before God. And God will reward us for the good and the evil that we have done. It's a simple message. Take the time now to prepare your oil, to keep your lights burning. Let your light so shine that people may see your good works and that they will glorify your father who is in heaven. So there's still time. I'm going to pray us out. That is my message for the day. But I'm going to make two appeals. The first appeal. Is to those who may not have accepted the invitation. Like I said, it's one thing to be to accept the invitation. It is another thing to participate in the festivities. There is a difference. But at least if we can get you RSVP'd then we can worry about the next phase. And so let's reserve your spot in heaven. If you're here and you have not accepted the Lord Jesus's gift and sacrifice for our sins. I would offer you to do that today. And so there'll be further instructions for that. And second, to those who have accepted their invitation, prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. Jesus is coming. He's coming back. And he said it would be like the days of Noah when he come back. It would be unexpected. Everybody would be going about their business, you know, starting businesses, getting married and this, that and the other. And nobody will have seen it coming. But remember to look up. Continue. Look up. Pray. Stand community with one another. Read your word. Serve. Love. Heal. Be present. We are the light of the world. Dear Lord, just thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word.
Thank you for your word, God. You said heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will remain. And so, God, in this moment, we just come before you as humbly as we know how, God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this opportunity to get our houses in order. Thank you for your patience and your long suffering, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee of the good things to come. And Lord Jesus, I pray that in these moments that follow this sermon, when we're out in the real world, that we represent you as ambassadors of Christ. God, you call us to be holy because you are holy. God, you say that no disciple is greater than their teacher. And so just as you fulfilled your purpose by dying on a cross and getting up, God, I pray that we will pick up our crosses and follow you as well. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.